new research from IBM X-Force highlights growth in cryptocurrency-based attacks, Facebook's revised estimate on account details accessed by Cambridge Analytica, and the old crime of lost and stolen fraud makes a comeback in Canada. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. I'm Nick Holland. This week, IBM released its X-Force 2018 Threat Intelligence Index report. There are a number of areas of focus in the research, including network attack shifts, malware trends, and inadvertent insider incidents. But I want to focus on one specific area that the report covers, and that is cryptocurrency cybercrime. I spoke with John Kuhn, who is a senior threat researcher for IBM X-Force, about the research and expectations for cryptocurrency cybercrime in 2018, asking him what are the most prevalent fraud schemes today and what can we expect to be around the corner? So, so one of the more interesting things is the one that everybody knows, ransom-based attacks, right? And this is an attack against cryptocurrency. This is a methodology to obtain more cryptocurrency from people they're attacking. Now, when I say ransom, of course, that includes ransomware, but there's also a lot of uh, you know attackers out there that will DDoS you until you pay them a currency, or they'll steal your data and hold it for ransom until you pay them in cryptocurrency, right? And those are some of the more headline-grabbing ones that everyone knows about, but also there's a new type of malware that's, that's, that attackers are starting to shift to, which is called crypto-jacking malware, right? And that's it's malware designed to do the mining for them to develop their own coins. Um, Monero, Bitcoin, a lot of these are, are being uh, mined on potentially your computer or your corporation's computer. And they're using your electricity and your CPU power, things that make uh, mining cryptocurrency not cost effective for them. But if they're having you do it, they're just collecting the coins and having you pay the electric bill for all that mining on the back end. So a lot of um, you know crypto jacking, crypto mining malware is starting to take place. We're starting to see a lot of it. A lot of it's centered around Monero, right? Because Monero has hashing algorithms that are more specific to CPUs, and this is what they're targeting. Um, and a lot of the, you have to start to think about where this is all going. So if, if they're using a lot of resources from organizations or even your personal computer you know, to do this mining for them, you know, how beneficial is it to them? You know, a lot of these cryptocurrency mining data centers, you know, they have thousands of computers utilizing GPUs, which are much faster at mining to be able to perform these tasks and make it more cost effective for them. But now there are these, a lot of these malwares are using CPUs to be able to do the same task. So what they need is a large number of infections, right? They need millions of computers to be able to do these these hashing algorithms to be to be able to, to mine a, a Bitcoin, right? A lot of these smaller coins like Litecoin and Monero, a little easier to, to, to mine a coin for. But, you know, that's what they're going for. They're going for these mass volumes of attacks. You know, a lot of see um, some Android malware recently uh, that does Bitcoin mining. So how much how much CPU power does your mobile phone have? In order to be able to, to do these these um, the, the mining activity, so with again what they're looking for is mass quantities of infections to be able to you know come to a a, a better result. Um, I, I think right now we're kind of looking at the infancy of what's to come for cryptocurrency and, and cybercrime, you know, when associated together. Much when we we saw ransomware, uh, you know, in, in its infancy several years ago, and then we kind of ended on a high note, or maybe not ended. You know, with 
uh, WannaCry. WannaCry was a very sophisticated malware that you know had worm capabilities and spread itself across many networks. No networks even this year very pervasive. So a lot of the malware that I'm looking at today, you know, for you know crypto jacking and crypto mining, it's very rudimentary, very simple. I think the, I think just going to proceed from there and going to continue to get more sophisticated, and you know, uh, much like like ransomware did, you know, we might even see worms or you know. IOC devices types, uh, you know, doing the crypto mining. And as far as, you know, uh, you know, wallet theft, I think that's going to just continue as well, too, uh, as more people are buying, you know, crypto coins and getting into the markets. You know, there's a lot more potential for those things to be stolen. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. It would appear that Facebook's data leak to Cambridge Analytica was far more significant than earlier suggested, increasing from 50 million shared profiles to 87 million. To discuss the most recent developments in the ongoing story of Facebook's data hemorrhage, is ISMG's Managing Editor of Security and Technology, Jeremy Cook. Facebook has released its own estimation of how many users may have had their data transferred to the voter profiling firm Cambridge Analytica, 87 million. The company worked on President Donald Trump's digital campaign ads. Cambridge Analytica bought the data from a university lecturer in violation of Facebook's rules. The ensuing controversy over the last three weeks has caused one of the most significant crises in the social networking platform's history. About 70 million of the possibly affected users are in the U.S., with the remainder in Australia, U.K., Philippines, Indonesia, Mexico, Canada, India, Brazil, and Vietnam. That could open up Facebook to new probes from regulators in addition to ones already underway in the U.S., U.K., and Canada. Cambridge Analytica disputed Facebook's figure, saying it only received data on 30 million people. It also maintained that it deleted the data and did not use it for its work on President Donald Trump's campaign. The estimation from Facebook came as the company announced a raft of changes designed to reduce the exposure of personal data on the site. Privacy advocates have long alleged Facebook allowed too much access to personal data. In 2007, Facebook launched its platform, which was a wildly successful program that allowed app developers to tap deep into a person's activity. It also grew an immensely profitable targeted online advertising business for Facebook. The data that ended up with Cambridge Analytica was collected by an app deployed by the lecturer in 2014. It collected personal information for those who used it, as well as information about those users' friends without consent. It's that type of loose data sharing that Facebook says it will now pull back from. Many of the changes will restrict access to user data by apps and ensure that people are aware of what's actually going on. Facebook's founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg has taken a chief role in trying to tamp down anger towards the social network. Previous privacy controversies have tended to fade quickly, but this one has endured because of Cambridge Analytica's work with the Trump campaign. Zuckerberg is expected to appear next week before the House Energy and Commerce Committee and before at least one Senate committee. Facebook has said it's now digging into other apps that might have been used on its platform to see if those companies may have misused data. That's a mighty task, as Zuckerberg says it numbers in the thousands, but it could mean that Facebook may uncover more disturbing uses of data and that the backlash against the company may not fade as quickly this time. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. While Canada has been ahead of the US when it's come to the implementation of EMV chip and pin technology for card payments, there's been something of a resurgence of an old fraud scheme that is likely to get worse, lost and stolen fraud. 
While contactless payments such as Apple Pay and Android Pay remain in their infancy in the US, Canada provides a cautionary tale of what may be coming south of the border. I spoke with Seth Rudin, Principal Fraud Consultant at ACI Worldwide, a payment systems company, who wrote about this subject in a recent company blog post, and I asked him whether contactless payments in Canada need greater controls or whether educating the end user to recognize their phone or wearable as equivalent to their wallet would be sufficient. So PSD2 and TAP in, in Canada are, are somewhat like chemical cousins in a way. They, they will, uh, PSD2 will have some contactless components to it, and Canada is, is already down this line. But here's, here's the big distinction is that with, with a no authenticator in place, the amount that you're allowed in Canada can be somewhat elevated. And in, in the PSD2 example, they're, they're pushing it down, you know, around 50 euros or so. Uh, in Canada, I think they sometimes offer maybe up to about 200 Canadian dollars, which is, you know, fairly significant. So what happened was you have these, uh, you know, entry-level fraudsters. You've got these kids who might just be car prowling and Canadians who have been uh, so accustomed to a safe culture, a safe place that they can, you know, not necessarily lock the uh, the doors on their houses, and they leave the car open, and sometimes they, they may have their wearable payment device that they take running left in the car or casually uh, left in, in the house. And, you know, if a, uh, a boyfriend, a stepchild, a, a visiting stranger who you may not be as comfortable with, a roommate, uh, decides they're going to take this thing for a walk, we don't have another authenticator in place to be able to uh, prevent that wearable from being abused. To, to really answer your question, is, um, is the answer awareness? Yes, I think the answer is awareness. These are payment devices. We, we can't get too comfortable and casual with these, and we need to encourage people to, to recognize that this is you know, effectively the same thing as leaving your wallet available and accessible. That's the ISMG Security Report. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.